Hey, good morning, everyone. Yep, um, as Ben said, my name's Katie. I'm also one of the um, UNSW mission students. I study arts and fine arts at um, UNSW. So yeah, we're reading from 2 Corinthians this morning, chapter 5, verses 11 to 21. So in, um, if you've got one of the red Bibles, like me, um, you'll find it on page 818. So 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verses 11 to 21. Since then, we know what it is to fear the Lord. We try to persuade men. What we are is plain to God, and I hope it is also plain to your conscience. We are not trying to commend ourselves to you again, but are giving you an opportunity to take pride in us, so that you can answer those who take pride in what is seen rather than what is in the heart. If we are out of our mind... It is for the sake of God. If we are in our right mind, it is for you. For Christ's love compels us, because we are convinced that one died for all, and therefore all died. And he died for all, that those who live should no longer live for themselves, but for him who died for them and was raised again. So from now on, we regard no one from a worldly point of view. Though we once regarded Christ in this way, we do so no longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has gone, the new has come. All this is from God, who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation, that God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ, not counting men's sins against them. And he has committed to us the message of reconciliation. We are therefore Christ's ambassadors, as though God were making his appeal through us. We implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. God made him who had no sin to be sin for us, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Morning, everyone. Uh, great to be back. Always feels like home when we come here, as Sheena says. Not because the weather always comes through, but because we know and love the people here. Um, I'd love to pray for us to understand God's word today. We're going to need his help, and uh, please join with me if you'd like to pray. Lord God, we thank you that you have shown yourself to us through the Bible. Uh, Lord, we pray now that we might listen to you and what you have said about us to us already. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well... A tall, respected man, loved by many, a hard worker in society, wearing a full-sized golden velvet star costume. (laughs) Have you seen that before? Walking in front of both friends and strangers to laughter? What would drive him to such madness? (laughs) Eight university students travelling to a part of the world they don't know knocking on the community's doors, inviting them to listen to carols. What would drive them to such madness? They could be off having the average uni holiday of sitting around wondering what to do. (laughs) There are hundreds of more students all over the country like them this weekend, doing the same thing. Well, you might have joined us today or recently or walked into our church for the first time at Carol's last night. Well, 
Who am I talking, who have I just described? I've just described Peter Charles, um, who's graciously let me use him as a um, sermon illustration. He's one of our ministers, the star in our show last night. I've also described the UNSW NTE team, who we've heard so much already from, who've been here these past few days. Um, their photo is on the front page of your bulletin, and that photo is of all of them deciding they want to live here now. <laughs> but are they really all mad? All of them call themselves Christians. Do these Christians live so differently? And why? Well, we're going to see what God has to say to us through the Bible, particularly from 2 Corinthians 5. Uh, it's a letter that uh, a, a man called Paul, he wrote to the very early churches um, in Corinth. It's a place in Greece. Uh, he's got a lot to say early on in his letter about ministry, about preaching a message. Um, so you'll pick up on him um, talking about that ministry and defending his words. Um, but it might be easy to tune out of a passage written 2,000 years ago. But a wager, the fact that the word all, meaning all of us, appears, we'll find that it applies to us today. So keep tuned. Now, the passage has a lot of explanation-y kind of words, since, for, but, therefore. Um, Paul's definitely explaining quite a few ideas that flow together. We'll see Paul explain how and why he lives differently. Uh, we'll track these ideas today as the fear of the Lord, the love of Christ, and ambassadors of Christ. Uh, sorry, I know those titles are in your um, bulletin. I've used a different translation for those headings, the ESV. But it'll be helpful to take notes as we go and keep your Bibles open. Well, let's start at point one, the fear of the Lord. So, Paul is beginning to explain why he lives differently. He persuades people. He's a minister who shares the gospel because he knows the fear of the Lord. Verse 11, read with me. Since then... We know what it is to fear the Lord. We try to persuade others. So many questions. What is it to fear the Lord? What's he persuading people about? Well, first up, the fear of the Lord. Sounds terrifying, right? Like God might be a big, scary being that causes harm, suffering, death, however he likes, to whoever he wants. The randomness. The evil. Think modern dictator. You Google some criteria for a dictator. He's an absolute ruler. He governs outside the otherwise accepted rule of law. Uh, he commonly gains power through fraud or by the military. Fair enough, if you're worried. Well, see, if you look at the first word there, the since, it's, it means this is what happens next after a previous sentence. So have a look back with me in your Bibles to verse 10. And it says this. For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, so that each of us may receive what is due us for the things done while in the body, whether good or bad. So all of us, everyone, whether you believe in God or not, we must all face judgment by Jesus for our good, for our bad. For what we do here in the body, in, on earth right now, and judgment will mean eternal consequences. Uh, being with God for eternity, we might call that heaven, or separated from God, we might call that hell. Um, and as we heard in Daniel's testimony just before, look, no matter how high I try to rack up my good points uh, for the good things I've done, 
being a good husband, being at church, supporting society with a job that contributes. How highly can I really measure up against how much I've rejected God? How much bad I've done? Set my own way of doing things apart from God. Not just the number of times I might do that in a day, but my whole attitude towards God. Look, in that case, facing the judgment seat of Christ is not where I want to be. So why do perhaps, or perhaps more strongly, why should Paul and other Christians persuade others? Well, because all face judgment from God. You know, you, me, the person either side of you. When you appear before the judgment seat of Christ, will you be judged as good by him or evil? It doesn't seem like it ends well, does it? Well, this is the picture. This is the reason why Paul tries to tell, share, convince and persuade people. But how and about what? Well, we come into the rest of Paul's explanation. Uh, Let's kick off with the how. Now, I'm sure you guys know the stereotype. In the middle of Sydney City, there's always a guy standing with an easel board around him with a microphone saying, judgment is coming, turn back from hell. Well, I forgot my easel board today, guys, but I've got a microphone. Well, instead, did Paul go about doing his ministry sharing about judgment? Well, Paul's come from a pretty cutthroat context where people claimed his preaching was a problem. You can see the very real problem that Paul has back in his time and that he's got to defend himself. If you read with me from the second half of verse 11, what we are is plain to God and I hope it is also plain to your conscience. We're not trying to commend ourselves to you again but are giving you an opportunity to take pride in us so that you can answer those who take pride in what is seen rather than in what is in the heart. If we are out of our mind, as some say, it is for God. If we are in our right mind, it is for you. Well, Paul's hammered his answer at home a few times. Um, And it's all about who uh, Paul is preaching for. For the people and for God. And there's absolute daylight between Paul and the false teachers, the other teachers in the day, who are preaching different things, when he contrasts himself uh, with their desire to impress people with what is seen or the outward appearance or the nice things that they're saying that pleases what people want to hear. It's not for God, and it's definitely not for the people. It's for themselves. It's awful, isn't it? Imagine hearing a preacher tell you about how you're going with God and you realise that it's all about boosting himself and not really caring about you. Now, Scott, our senior minister, uh, last night at our carols, shared in his message about judgment. It's not what you'd expect, right? In a Christmas story. In fact, it doesn't make you very popular around Christmas to talk about judgment. But from what we've heard today, it's the truth. And so it definitely, it it wasn't for Scott to say that, it was for God and it was for the people to hear. Well, now the motivation for sharing. Perhaps It's like the saying you might have heard of, there's no such thing as a good deed. I wonder if there's a cynic in you, a bit like me, Uh, those Christians, they always get a kick out of talking about Jesus, approval from their social group, the hierarchy at church or their families. Trust me, as I've worked on this sermon, um, I've needed to reflect on myself. I really don't need people to come up after this sermon today and say, wow, thanks, 
Amazing, talent, words. <laughs> but it's better if we get to talk about judgment or the gospel that was preached. Now, in verse 13, Paul says, if we are out of our mind, as some say, it is for God. If we are in our right mind, it is for you. Paul, similar to some of the stories at the start of the sermon um, of, of Peter Charles, of our NTE team, Paul maybe appears mad, crazy, a lunatic to the people that he shares with. Jesus, in popular culture, he sounds cool and friendly, but this is the crazy Christian living that we don't want to borrow of. There seems to be some reason, though, why Paul is sharing about judgment. Because is all he's saying that there's this cosmic karma system that we're doomed to fail, right? You do good, you get rewarded. You do bad, it's not good. It doesn't sound like anyone's really made the cut, right? Well, Paul is going to explain why he talks about judgment. We're at point two, the love of Christ. Uh, for Christ's love compels us. In verse 14, Paul has come to a conclusion, right? He's convinced of a certain truth. Read with me in the second half of verse 14. That one, that's Jesus, died for all, that's us, and therefore all, us, have died. So that one died for all, and therefore all have died. Paul is convinced of this. Have you heard it before? Jesus has died for all, no one has to fear or deal with death and is friends with God? Well, that's not actually what Paul says. He says, one has died for all, therefore all have died. The logical next part of Christ dying for everyone isn't that we don't have to deal with death, you know, we get to avoid it and escape it, but actually that we have all died as well, past tense. We don't escape death. We don't have mystical revival without death. He died, Jesus died, so that I would die. His death was my death. Jesus is a representative for us. His death is as me. So this is why the love of Christ in dying as us makes Paul's life look so different. That's why he looks so mad and crazy. Christ has died, so Paul has died. His old life, it's over, it's gone. And the Paul who rejected God, the old Paul who lived for himself and for other gods, that life has ended. But it's not the end of the story. There's better news. Jesus doesn't stay dead. Read with me in verse 15. And he died for all, that those who live should no longer live for themselves, but for him who died for them and was raised again. And this is the really important part. As our old rebellious life, the life that fails to meet God's cosmic karma system or his judgment, that life dies with Jesus. We're freed and raised up with Jesus too. This is the great news of the gospel. You've got to see Jesus as your representative, right? Our lives are connected with Jesus's life. So maybe you think you're a member of parliament who you elect and he votes for you or he makes decisions for you, you know, or a sports team. It's like watching the Soccer World Cup. We've got an Australian team that represents us. When they win, all of Australia wins. We all do. And when they lose, or when they lost, sadly, we lost too. But for Paul, he's joined to Jesus. And so then he receives the benefit of dying with Jesus on the cross 
and his old life is over. But he also is completely freed and has new life. In fact, he's so compelled to lead a completely new life, not for his own rebellious self, which is now dead, but for Christ, who died for us and was raised. It's utterly new life. And if Jesus isn't raised, we're simply not freed to live this new life, this life of joy, of living for Jesus as our Lord and our Saviour. Have a look at what it means for us. Read from verse 16. Um, So from now on, we regard no one from a worldly point of view. Though we once regarded Christ in this way, we do so no longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come. The old has gone. The new is here. We have a new identity. Like Jesus, we're not identified by the worldly point of view or our humanness, our sinful passions or our desires to turn away from God. Have you felt identified by your sin? Maybe a rage-filled man, an addict, a gossiper, filled with lust, selfish. But how great is this new picture, a new creation? There's a changing of the guard. The old has gone, the new is here, and we have new identities in Christ. But it's not, it's not all about us anymore. It's now about lives lived for Jesus, Jesus the rightful Lord and ruler of all. And he's not the cruel, harsh leader that religion or cosmic karma or whatever you'd like to call it is, but Jesus is the man who dies for our sake. Jesus doesn't stay dead. And this is the greatest news. This is the news that absolutely compels Paul to share about Jesus. Well, what does this mean for us and how do our lives look different? Paul spells it out in the last part of our passage. We're at point three, ambassadors for Christ. Well, there's this fundamental change for everyone who puts their trust in Jesus. That along with the identity comes a new job. Let's look at verse 18. All this is from God, who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ, not counting people's sins against them, and he has committed to us the message of reconciliation. We are therefore Christ's ambassadors as though God were making his appeal through us. We implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. God made him who had no sin to be sin for us, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Here's the new job description. Uh, There's a lot of reconciliation in there. Uh, Reconciliation is when you've got a broken relationship between two parties, which has been made right again. And we're on about that all now. We can be friends with God now because of Jesus. And now we get the privilege of making him known. We are Christ's ambassadors. Now, when you think ambassador, you probably think foreign diplomat, someone who represents a country in another country, who advocates for the country, who defends it, who holds the same values. Maybe you think the same for brand ambassadors. George Clooney, Nespresso. Roger Federer, Barilla, pastor. Not sure how you represent the values of pastor. But not everyone does it right, okay? If you Google worst brand ambassadors, David Beckham comes up, the famous soccer player. He comes up because he 
um, was a brand ambassador for a hair product. You think that's pretty cool. Uh, his hair looks pretty nice. But halfway through his agreement with them, Beckham decided to shave his head. Makes it hard for a brand ambassador to promote hairstyling cream when you don't have any hair. Now, will we be like that? As ambassadors for Christ, God makes his appeal through us. And what's the appeal? Back in verse 20 and 21, be reconciled to God. Be reconciled to God. And then we see, actually, if you keep reading, how God makes this reconciliation happen through the substitution of Jesus for us. We'll quickly unpack substitution, because it's really just describing that verse there. So, we who sin, or reject God, um, Jesus is made to be that sin, to take on that sin, even though he, he doesn't sin, he doesn't know sin. Um, he is a substitute, if you'd like to say. Um, Jesus, the man who only ever really he trusted and obeys God, he takes our sin, takes our penalty for sin, which is death, so that we might become the righteousness of God. Become righteousness? Well, see it as God declares us innocent. Think law court, guilty, innocent. Think judgment, right? It all comes full circle back to our start that we all face judgment for good and bad that we do. But here, here is the good news of the gospel. We get declared right, innocent before God, even though we sinned, right? We get declared right if we are represented by Jesus in his death and resurrection. If we trust and put our faith that he will surely die for us and rise again, then we are declared righteous. We are made, we become the righteousness of God. Uh, don't think of Christianity as a religion of rules and punishments necessarily. It's more of a love story, okay? So for the readers among us, think Pride and Prejudice. Don't think 1984. <laughs> it's a love story where God brings us, all of us who have rejected him, back into good relationship with him through Jesus. I'd love to ask you, have you decided to trust Jesus? Well, I want to finish up today with how we could apply this passage. Like, really, what difference does it make to our lives? It is helpful, though, to start with how we absolutely can't apply this passage, so we might know how to apply it better. There are three quick ways. The first, a really popular alternative interpretation of verse 21 is that it says, made him to be sin. A lot of people say, well, just means made him to be a sin offering. He's just one of these sacrifices, right? This is devastatingly different to this reading because Jesus can't be a sin offering here. It must be that he became sin. Otherwise, Jesus just becomes an offering to appease a God who insists on rules and punishments but doesn't satisfyingly or give us the assurance of dealing with our sin. We wouldn't know that we're righteous or that we become righteousness of God in this life. Now, this is one of the views that the Catholic Church teaches. And this view is so dangerous because it means that there's no assurance of salvation. And so any way that we live our lives differently because of Jesus is really just a way to earn our way to God, to make ourselves feel more assured without actually being assured. There's no guarantee at the end of the day that we have a secure, reconciled relationship with God. This is simply not true, right? We have assurance because Jesus has died and risen, and we do too when we trust in Jesus.
I'd love to ask you to trust God's word today and know the assurance we have. The second, uh, a pretty common question is, if God has freely and completely forgiven me through the death and resurrection of Jesus, if it's all by God's grace and not by works, then why on earth would we live a new life of godliness? Why would we look like those mad, crazy people? Why would we put on that gold star? Um, You could walk out of here today and go, well, why not just keep sinning? And since God's grace and forgiveness will cover it at the end. Well, we can see God's answer here, right? We've been raised with Christ as Lord. You can't possibly still think you're living for yourself, right? Which, what does that mean? You can't follow Jesus as the Lord and reject him as the Lord. You're either living for him or still for yourself. While we do still struggle with sin until Jesus returns and until sin really is done away with, we will continue to push off sin in us and we do not continue to live for it. And the third and last, I wanted to pick up on a song called This Is Living, which was written and based off 2 Corinthians 5 by a church. I'll read you a few of the lyrics. It says, This is living now. This is living now. Uh, You take me higher than I've been before. It's your perfect love that sees me sore. God, your freedom is an open door. You are everything I want and more. Now, their rhymes are good, but their theology is not. You probably see these lyrics commonly. What's the biggest problem? Your freedom is an open door? Freedom for what, right? The rest of the song doesn't help. You can look at it. I've just taken a snippet. But this is the problem of our world today. Um, Freedom is really what just makes me feel happy, lets me do what I want to do. But if we are reunited with Jesus in death, we need to see the important part of being united with Jesus in his resurrection, that we're freed from our sin and old life to live for Jesus as the risen, reigning Lord and to make God's appeal for reconciliation. It's not this mystical, soaring emotion. And this brings us to our more obvious application. You may not know Jesus. Can you be reconciled to God today? And can you live for the risen Lord Jesus? Now, that's one question, actually. I'd love to encourage you to pray, to chat with the person who brought you along. We all will appear before the judgment seat of Christ. Will you be seen as guilty? or innocent before God. As we sin, as we reject God, our works cannot make us innocent. Our trusting in Jesus as our representative and substitute can make us innocent before God. And now, for those who would call themselves followers of Jesus, would others see the way you live as for the risen Lord Jesus, as an ambassador for Christ? Don't, Don't think of it as a legalistic way. But in your new identities, would people see that flag that you fly as an ambassador for Christ? A few ways I'd love you to consider more practically. As you think about money, is it to store up money for this life? Or as you go to work, are you there for the approval of others or for God? Do you seek to have small talk with your colleagues and friends because it pleases them? Or do you boldly and intentionally share about Jesus with them. Well, let me encourage you. We are a new creation already, and we have been given this ministry of reconciliation. Well, we started off this sermon with, do Christians live differently? 
from 2 Corinthians 5, we've seen Paul explain why all who trust Jesus live differently in two ways. We have new reconciled, resurrected life with God, and that's free from the burden of sin. But we also make God's appeal as ambassadors for Christ. And we may look mad, but it's not for our sake. It's for our friends, our family, our colleagues, our church, and for God's sake. It's perfectly summed up in these last two verses, which let me read it once more, verse 14 and 15. For Christ's love compels us, because we are convinced that one died for all, and therefore all died. And he died for all that those who live should no longer live for themselves, but for him who died for them and was raised again. I'd love to pray. Please join me. Heavenly Father, we do thank you for this new life that we have because of you. We pray that we might trust that Jesus is the representative for us, that we have died with him, and that we also are raised to new life with him. And we pray that we might be bold ambassadors of Christ also. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen.